What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mavs Film Room Podcast coming to you at around 10.09 p.m. Central Time after the Dallas Mavericks defeated the Boston Celtics 113-108. to It was a really good game from Luka Doncic, who had 36 points and shot 7 for 11 from the three-point line. And he looked extremely dominant tonight. I, I believe he only missed five shots the entire game. So he was, he was on one from the get-go. Uh, the Mavs built a huge lead in the first half. They were up by as much as 23 points. But coming in the second half, the Boston Celtics really, you know, figured things out on offense, started hitting their shots and made it really close. And the fourth quarter was just a disaster for the Mavs. Um, they couldn't really get anything going on offense. The ball was sticking a lot. They were turning it over. Luckily for the Mavs, Boston missed quite a few three-pointers that could have really turned the game around and the Mavs squeaked away with the five-point win, but it got really close there at the end. It got as close as two points with like 30 seconds to go. So not a great fourth quarter, but a win is a win. And it's always great when you could beat Boston twice in one year, as Rick Carlisle said after the game. So let's get into it. I'm joined by Fazal Ahmed. How are you doing? What's up, man? I'm pretty good. Um, you know, just as long as the Mavericks won, which is what we got. And you touched on... A lot of the stuff that I'm pretty uh, concerned with, but at the end of the day, a win is a win, so I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, it is, especially in this season, given all the, the COVID stuff and all the load management. You know, every win you can get is super valuable. You know, even though Boston is not what they were built to be on paper, they're still a pretty talented team, especially after adding Evan Fournier at the trade deadline. So I'm happy with this one even if it didn't really feel good at the end. Let's talk about the game. The Mavs built a huge lead in the first half. Like like we said, Luka was bombing from three. And I got to say that it's been a, a bit of a weird season for the Mavs, but Luka's three-point shooting and just the development that he's gone under this season has been really, really good to watch. And it's probably been my favorite part about this season. Yeah, same here. And fun fact... Luca shot the exact same from the three-point line as he did at the free throw line, seven of eleven. <laughs> That's so, a good point. <laughs> yeah, um, same same here. Honestly, like Luca's improvement from three has been very exciting because he's shooting officially thirty-eight percent for the season now, thirty-eight point one percent. And I mean, he always takes things and improves them on his game, and he's pretty quickly like eliminating all of his biggest weaknesses but I, I still didn't expect him to improve so drastically on the three-point shot this season like this is he's still ahead of schedule which is incredible like I'm we're really running out of superlatives for Luca just <laughs> I'm just enjoying the show you know yeah me too I mean it's so fun to watch Luca play every single night and he is I've never watched a player like him. I mean, I know we've seen some great players in our lifetime, but Luca is truly unique in, in many regards. You know, it's interesting you you mentioned his free throw shooting tonight, which was also seven for 11. I feel like that's kind of like the, the final frontier of his game, as crazy as it is. You know, I, I feel like last year we were saying like, man, if Luca can get his three-point percentage up to like 35%, he's going to be averaging at least another five to six points per game on top of like the 28 or 29 he averaged last season. And now that he's figured out how to shoot the three, I really feel like if he can become like a consistent 80 to 85% free throw shooter, 
then, I mean, uh, who knows how many points per game he can average. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he could average like, like 35 or 36 points per game like Harden does. I completely agree. So, yeah, I'd say that um, probably improving the three is more important than improving the free throw percentages. But, I mean, as long as he does that, then we're going to be all right. And instead, I mean, I'm sure his uh, free throw percentage for this season has been pretty decent. I know that earlier on he was at about an 80% pace, and I'm sure that's fallen off, but he's still, I'd have to guess, around like 70, 75% for the season. So, you know, obviously you'd like an improvement on that, but these are roughly LeBron percentages. So um, they're acceptable. But yeah, like, whatever a prime Luca is going to be in terms of his efficiency. It's just, I mean, I can't wait personally. (laughs) (laughs) I know me neither. Yeah. Luca is at 74.8% on his free throws this year, which is down a percent from last season where he was 75.8%. I agree. Like uh, at the beginning of the season, I think he was at that 80, 82% clip, but it's slowly fallen off as the year has gone on. I think kind of how last season went for him too. So that's something he's got to figure out. I, after seeing his three-point, uh, you know, percentage go up, I have no doubt that Luca is going to work on his free throws and come back next season with hopefully an improved form that leads to an improved percentage. But I mean, he single-handedly won the game for the Mavs tonight with just how many possessions he bailed them out of, uh, including Jalen Brunson too. I think he shouldn't be overlooked in this one because outside of Luca and, and KP. Brunson was really the only guy giving them consistent offense, and he hit those clutch free throws there at the end, which is a sight for sore eyes if you've watched the Mavs and their free throw shooting, especially in the clutch over the last few years. Speaking of the clutch, I want to talk about the fourth quarter a bit and kind of some of the awful things that happened. Um, So the the Mavs essentially ran the lineup of Luka, Brunson, Josh Richardson, Maxie, and Dorian down the stretch run in the fourth quarter. And it was really, really sloppy at times. And I don't know, I think the Mavericks need to feel really fortunate that Boston didn't totally run them over there. Um, Yeah, so they went small because the Celtics went small. And that meant not seeing a whole lot of Kristaps. I think he only played, what, two minutes that entire fourth quarter, Yeah, which is not ideal. it's not a coaching decision that I agree with personally, because it would be different if the Mavericks had a competent backup, but especially now with Maxi slumping, no, there's no better person to play than Kristaps. You, if you have Maxi at the five, that's like functionally not very much different than Kristaps at the five. And there are certain advantages to having Kristaps in the game, especially when the Celtics are so small, because that would eliminate a lot of the second chance opportunities the Celtics got because I'm sure, yeah, they were quicker and more active to grab those rebounds. But when you have like a seven foot three guy who's pretty mobile himself in Kristaps, I'm sure that negates some of those rebounds. And it's not to say that like Kristaps is entirely, you know, like some uncoordinated doofus either. He's <laughs> he's like he's he's gotten better in terms of his conditioning compared to the beginning of the season. So he's worked his way back. Like, he can at least score or at least force the Celtics to foul him. That wasn't something I liked seeing. I guess it worked out, but it's just um, some poor lineup choices by Rick in the fourth, especially that 
stretch where Luca had to sit as well. Mm-hmm. And then it was, they were running a five man lineup without Luca or Kristaps in there for a good portion of the fourth. And it's like just baffling all around. Look, yeah. Like I get it that the, the Celtics went really small and I, I think like it, it made sense to an extent to, to also go small and, and, you know, Kristaps is not always great in those situations, but I did feel like once it became pretty clear that this lineup was not working for them and the ball was sticking a lot that, that KP should have gone in there, especially towards the end of the game. I think his defense was good enough in the earlier parts of the game where I, I feel like he could have really helped them on that end. And just like on offense too, as someone who could spread the floor, I mean, when you run a lineup like they did in the fourth quarter, like teams know that there isn't a reliable offense creator besides Luca. So they're going to cue in on him. And as a result, like the other guys are not going to be able to do much. I mean, you know, we saw Richardson trying to handle the ball and, and run the offense. And boy, it was like really, really rough to watch. I mean, he had like three turnovers or two turnovers there um, down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And I don't know, man, I'm, I don't know if I'm fully out on Richardson, but I'm kind of getting to that point. You know, I've been holding out hope that he's going to turn it around. And I think he had that stretch of games out of the all-star break where he started to look like the player we envisioned him to be when the Mavs traded for him. But the last like four or five games have been really, really, really rough for him. And I'm not really sure if he's ever going to become what they need him to be. Yeah. um, Before the season, I actually really liked the Josh Richardson trade. Like I'm sure that a decent number of Mavericks fans did as well. I did too. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't say that I followed the Sixers too closely last season, but I mean, just comparing the stats from then and now I'm not sure that Josh Richardson is much better for, than his last season self, if he is at all. And that's with the Mavericks having a better team construction than last season Sixers did. Cause Last season, the Sixers had no spacing, so I was able to, like, you know, kind of wave off Jay Rich having a bad season. I'm just calling it, you know, an unfortunate consequence of the construction of the roster because he's just a role player. We don't expect too much from him. But now this season, when we want him to step up a little bit, we're getting this. And I'm used to him being a streaky player. Like, I've known that's been the case his whole career. I've I've heard about it from Heat fans, you know, a couple years back when he was on the team. They just we're accustomed to having him be a streaky player, but I was under the impression that was more regarding his jump shot and not like the entire rest of his game, because good Lord, he has had some atrocious decision-making these past couple of games and really in stretches this entire season. So that's not what any of us are looking for. And that's like, I'm very dismayed about that. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I was always a fan of Josh Richardson dating back to his Miami days as well. And I always felt like if the Mavs could get a player like him, they'd really benefit from it, just given his, you know, defensive skill set and his ability to shoot. And I, and I always felt like he could create a little bit too. Um, on the note of how this season compares to last season, I mean, it's it's about the same, probably a little bit worse, honestly. I mean, his field goal percentage is... 43.5% um, this year compared to 43% last year. But his three-point percentage is only 316 this year, which compares to 34.1 last year. So, I mean, honestly, if he was hitting 34% of his threes this year, that would be way better. But really the only thing that has a marked difference for him is his free throw percentage, which is far and away a career high for him at 92.6%. But while that's great, you know, some of the other stuff is much more glaringly 
hurting the team, you know, and, and, and it is pretty disappointing that his three point shooting has not bounced back to that 36, 37% range that he had in Miami. So I don't really know if he factors into the Mavs long-term plans, you know, like I, I think at this point with him, I'm, I'm like, unless he's the worst offensive starter for them, or if he's coming off the bench for them, I'm not really sure if he's somebody that they can look to, to, to build this group with. Definitely not. And when you combine that with, you know, the Mavericks still giving big minutes to Maxi and Dorian Finney-Smith, and I'm sure even some minutes going to guys like Trey Burke and Dwight Powell, like we really don't have the kind of room to be indulging a lot of this stuff from Richardson. So I think it's pretty evident that we need some kind of real shakeup and it's not going to come this season, but go heading into next season, most likely with free agency and all that, we got to get some, some different looks like this most likely isn't cutting it unless Luca and or Kristaps can like kick it into a whole new gear. So yeah. Um, you know, I'm hoping Jay Rich picks it up, but I, at this point, I'm not very optimistic on that happening. Neither am I. I think who he is right now is who he's going to be the rest of the year. And yeah, I mean, the, the Mavs just need more NBA level talent on their roster, whether it's NBA starter level talent or just, just better talent in general, because I don't think any other team with contending aspirations could get away with starting two players like Dorian and Maxi, who again are, are very good at their role. But when it comes down to crunch time where you need a bucket, Luca can't be the only one on the floor who can be capable of doing that. That's just a recipe for disaster that nearly came back to bite them in the ass tonight, but it didn't, you know, I personally don't really understand why, Tim Hardaway wasn't in instead of Richardson. You know, THA was not having a great game tonight, but I still think in that situation, you need a guy who can get a shot off and, and get a bucket for you. And it just didn't make sense after like how much Richardson was struggling there in the fourth, why Rick didn't go to THA. Um, but maybe there was a reason for it, but I wasn't a huge fan of the coaching quarter that Rick had tonight. Yeah. Um, like you said, THJ didn't have a great game, but he could at least hit an open shot. And I'm not sure if he's that much of a better ball handler than Richardson, but he is a pretty smart offensive player. Like we've seen this, he knows how to beat a trap and he knows how to beat pressure to some degree, like at least way more than Richardson, in my opinion. So yeah, I would have really um, appreciated seeing him play yeah. more because in that instance, having more offense beats having more defense because it, the way it was going, we were just playing not to lose and it, it happened to work out that way, but that's not the way that the maps should play or any team, you know, at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, the, the maps got really lucky there in the fourth quarter that, that Boston didn't hit a lot of those transition rhythm threes. Cause the story of this game could have been very different if that was the case. And yeah, to your point, Tim Hardaway jr. Has, is, is not that much worse of a ball handler than Richardson is. And honestly, you could say he's better because THJ has improved his scoring on drives this season. Like we've seen a lot where he can get in the lane and, and score, or we, you know, I think at this point he dunks at least once a game off drives. So, I mean, that's extremely valuable for, for this team that doesn't have many creators on it. So I would have loved to see Tim Hardaway in instead of Richardson at the end. Um, you know, I would have loved to see KP there within like the last five minutes as well. But some people were saying it was a minutes restriction. And if that was the case, I'm, I'm, I'm 
hoping that he can play both of these games um, against the Knicks and Wizards because otherwise, um, you know, that's a whole different story about all their load management and things like that. I don't know if we'll get into it today, but um, yeah, that's really my thoughts on the game there. Yeah, not too much to add. Just, um, I guess that this game exemplified a lot of the trends we've been seeing this season. So yeah, um, if there's anything I guess I'd want to add, it's just that Kristaps, again, didn't have too efficient of a game shooting-wise, but just I think you can tell if you watched, like he, there's a lot of potential that still is left to be reached by him that is easily reachable. Uh, it's just more of a matter of him realizing how big he is and, you know, just being able to slow the game down and not be too bothered by all these smaller players that are on him trying to pressure him. Cause again, he's freaking seven foot three. It's not that difficult to just rise up back down and dunk on somebody at that height. Um, so the fact that he had closer to an average game, rather than a great game and you know a lot of other guys were playing poorly and we still won is I guess decent yeah I mean um KP KP had an okay game today I mean I think overall it was it was solid for him if you recall last season when the Mavs played in Boston he had like probably his worst game of the season and maybe one of the worst games of his career where he shot like one for 11 or one for 12 and similarly like tonight sat for most of the fourth quarter. So, I mean, it certainly was nice to see him play a better game against the Celtics on, on both ends of the floor. He was a plus 15. So that was nice to see. And to your point, I mean, KP has a ton of improvement that he can make just in terms of being able to take advantage of mismatches, not even just in the post, but like you said, just be able to drive and dunk on guys who are smaller than him. I mean, he's one of the biggest players in the league. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that his health holds up the rest of the way and he can finally go into an offseason healthy where he's not rehabbing any injuries, can actually focus on improving some of his skills and becoming a more effective player. Because I think if he can unlock that part of his game, I mean, the, the sky's the limit as to how much better he can fit into the offense. Because right now, his fit is really determined on how well he shoots the ball. And if he's shooting well, then then it's it's great. If he's not, then he's almost like a negative for them um, out there. So fingers crossed on, on that note. The other fairly large Mav story of the day was the J.J. Redick podcast that he released this morning where he described his thoughts and feelings on being traded from the, the Pelicans to the Mavs. And he had a lot of good things to say where he was pretty honest about the whole procedure uh, that that went down. So, I mean, if you guys didn't get a chance to check that out, his podcast is called The Old Man and the Three. And he essentially talked about how back in November of this season, he requested a trade from New Orleans to be closer to his family in, in Brooklyn. And the Pelicans GM, David Griffin, told him, like, why don't you come to New Orleans for a month? And if you still don't like it, we'll find um, a way for you to get to one of your preferred destinations. His preferred destinations being one of the Northeast teams like the, the Nets or the 76ers and such. So he was like, okay, I'll come and, 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 and see. And of course, he still wanted to get traded. So the, the Pelicans, I guess, had been working on trying to trade him since earlier this year. Couldn't find a partner for his $13 million expiring salary. Um, of course, JJ Reddick got hurt a few weeks ago with the heel injury and has been rehabbing 
in Brooklyn since then. And on the day of the trade deadline, he didn't think he was going to get traded. He thought that the Pelicans were just going to wait and then buy him out. Uh, at that point, he'd be free to go and sign with the Nets or whoever, be close to his family. But at the last second, they traded him um, and Nicolo Melli here to the Mavs. Um, and that certainly caught him off guard. You know, he said multiple times that this was no slight against the Mavs organization and that in a normal year, he'd have been thrilled to get traded to the Mavs. But this time around, um, given the unique circumstances of the season with the pandemic and his injury, his preference was to be with with his family and playing, I guess, with the Brooklyn Nets or the Sixers or whatever. You know, again, he said he's he's still happy to be in Dallas, but um, it was pretty interesting to hear his thoughts on, on the whole trade. Yeah, I'm not too... I guess compared to the whole almost radio silence we had the past couple of days, now that we finally get his side of things and his retelling of events, yeah, I'm not really that bothered by JJ and his rationale and everything that happened. Like, I think with this in mind, it's a pretty fair move that the Mavericks made in terms of the trade. And then just as long as JJ can get back out there for some point in the regular season and the playoffs and, you know, play up to his standards after he recovers fully from this heel procedure. Uh, yeah. I'll be pretty fine with the move. And of course I do feel for the guy cause this was a family oriented thing and I do believe him. Um, so the Pelicans making a promise to him and not following through on it is pretty bad. Like they could have just said, hey, we'll try our best, but no promises. Instead, they went ahead and said, we'll get this done for you, and they didn't. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not great. Um, I guess I can understand why somebody would be still annoyed at the move, having heard all of this, because the it seems like the move was pre-planned and done in advance. So for that to happen, and for the Mavericks to not like care about the physicals or um, you know, how he might not want to be in Dallas as one of his preferred destinations. Yeah, that is kind of annoying, but um, still at the end of the day, I guess you have to make a move and getting anything for James Johnson's contract is pretty decent. I think um, worst comes to worst, JJ could probably be a tradable asset this free agency because I think the Mavericks retain his early bird rights and then yeah. that would allow them to sign and trade him. And then he's already making a decent uh, contract or salary for this season. So the early bird rats on top of that would lead to a pretty decent um, size trade chip. So we could like actually get something of value in return for him, especially if it's going to be in one of those Northeastern teams. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, feeling pretty positive on this in terms of the future outlook, but as, as of this season still, I don't know, iffy, but yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. This season is kind of a wash. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I think we discussed this on the previous podcast. This move doesn't really move the needle for the Mavs, but I mean, it gives them a good veteran leader. And, you know, there's no doubt that he's going to be professional for them. And, and hopefully, you know, some of the young guys on this team can learn from him and learn about what it takes to be successful in the playoffs and, and just in terms of winning. You know, there's two sides to this that, I, that I've seen. You know, one side is like, of course, you know, the Pelicans did J.J. Redick dirty after not tell, after not honoring their word when they said that they would trade him to his preferred destinations. And I kind of agree with that one. 
the other side to this that I see people saying is like, well, you know, JJ Redick was making $13 million a year. He was injured, wasn't really performing up to his career averages. So of course there's not a market for him. Like you can't really feel sorry for him, which I would agree with under other circumstances, but just given the fact that the Pelicans did promise him a trade to one of his preferred destinations and then didn't send him there, I think he's totally entitled to feel the way that he does. Assuming that's that's the case and that's the truth, which I, I don't see why he would be lying about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking forward to sort of putting this behind us and actually getting to see him play for the Mavs and, and hopefully helping them win um, you know, at least one playoff game, that would be nice. But yeah, I mean, as far as next season, I, I, I hope that they could find a way to retain him and, and keep him around for at least another season. So, um, you know, he can continue to serve as the veteran leader for the, for the Mavs as they grow into a more true contender. But at the same time, I'm not terribly optimistic that that's going to be the case. I'm sure that he will prefer to go close to his family this offseason, but who knows, maybe he'll decide to move them back to Austin where he once lived. And if that's the case, then Dallas is close to home for him. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I didn't really expect it to be a point of discussion too much among Mavs fans, but I really didn't expect JJ to stay here beyond this season. I don't expect him to stay, stay here beyond the season. That's what I meant to say. Um, but it's okay, just as long as he gives us something this year that's nice is really all you can ask for. Um, there is an actual interesting point that I want to make, though, regarding this entire move, which is more to do with the Pelicans. But, um, you know, from the perspective of the Pelicans, they should make a move with JJ and get something of return for him. I get that. But the return they got was what James Johnson, Wes Uwundu and a second round pick, which is probably going to be in the mid to late second round. So I'm not sure if that's worth all the hassle and all the drama that's been brought upon them now with JJ, you know, putting it out there, his side of the story. And it's really not the most player friendly move to make, which is kind of a mistake in such a player friendly era with all this empowerment going on. So that's interesting, you know, how the front office there is going to be perceived now with uh, David Griffin and all his associates, um, especially because JJ's agent is, or he's represented by CAA, who mm-hmm. also represents Josh Hart and Zion Williamson. So that's oh, interesting. Pretty interesting, along with a bunch of other players who aren't on the Pelicans. But yeah, I don't know. Um, that's it's going to be pretty bad for business i feel and it's going to make it tough for them to retain josh hart i'm not going to even pretend that like you know zion's going anywhere for the next <laughs> 10 years or whatever but for now like you know it's not it's not the greatest look especially for a young team that's like trying to rebuild or trying to retain all their talent like it's just it's just strange all around i don't know what to make of the freaking pelicans and I guess that means we should officially put Josh Hart on our um, watch list now, because if he if it's harder for him to stay in New Orleans, then that's all the better for us, because he does provide a lot of what we need. In fact, I'm willing to make a claim right now that if we get Josh Hart in this upcoming free agency, 
Um, he's going to provide to us what we really expected Josh Richardson to provide for us. Great take. Josh Hart has been on my free agent list for, I guess, a few weeks now, ever since I realized he was going to be a free agent. And I would love the Mavs to target him in free agency. I think he's pretty realistic. Um, he's also a friend of Jalen Brunson, both of them being Villanova players. I don't know if they were teammates at any point. I think they were. So I think that would be a good signing. And Josh Hart actually did tweet after the J.J. Redick trade, like that's low man or whatever, basically alluding to the fact that the Pelicans did J.J. dirty. So I think the CAA connection could be valuable there. You know, CAA represents a couple of guys on the Mavs and in Dwight Powell and Josh Green. So I was talking to somebody today and they suggested that maybe JJ's agent kind of demanded the situation that he got traded to the Mavs because they had other CAA clients that the Mavs have done right by, you know, of course, and Dwight Powell. I don't really know if I believe that or not, but um, I'm sure business relationships play a role in, in any of these moves. So I don't know. My, my hope from this is even if JJ Redick is not a mainstay for the next year or two on the Mavs, I at least hope that they can gain a more favorable reputation with among players and among agents, just as a franchise that is good for guys to play for and has a good culture. Because I mean, I guess from following the team and being in Dallas, we hear about this and we also do hear about it from former players, but I think you know, the Mavs and certain aspects of them, like Rick Carlisle, for example, has earned a reputation of being a hard ass, probably because of the way things went down with Rondo and just how well-connected Rondo is within the league. So um, JJ Redick is another well-connected player in the NBA. And I'm hoping that if he does have a positive experience here with the team, then that can, the word can kind of get out and some of the, the narratives can shift about playing for the Mavs. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because obviously this upcoming offseason is probably the last real attempt to add talent to Luca and Kristaps in a free agency at least um, for the next half decade, decade, whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a good test to see really how much of the talk coming out of uh, Cuban and Donnie's mouths about the Mavericks plan and being in place to attract talent and how easy it is to build around Luca and whatnot actually being true. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that anymore. Let's uh, I, 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 I have no doubt that, that Luca is an attractive player to play with, but look, the Mavs are not a glamor free agent destination and they're going to need to pony up the cash if they want to sign other players otherwise like you can't just hope that that free agents are going to fall into your lap because they're not you know the Mavs don't play in Los Angeles or New York or Miami like it's, it's not a city guys are dying to 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 live in you know once they come here you can change their minds but players want two things they want winning and money and you got to show them both if you want to have a chance so I don't know. I just hope the Mavs don't sit on their ass this offseason and actually throw money at guys because, like you said, this is their last shot at making big improvements to the roster because once Luca's extension kicks in, it'll be another few years before they're going to have any sort of major financial flexibility. Right. So 
I guess what I should say is uh, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Donnie, I'll, I'll, I'll buckle up again. But yeah, I mean, that, that's all I got for this one. You have anything else? Not really. Um, just got to make sure that, you know, we win these next couple of games because they're very much winnable and perhaps creep into that sixth seed and get out of that freaking play-in game. Not very optimistic on that happening at this point, but eh, stranger things have happened, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I'm not terribly optimistic about it either, but the Mavs definitely need to win these next two games, which are at New York on Friday and then at Washington on Saturday. It's a back-to-back. But the Mavs play the Jazz and the Bucks next week, and I think they play the 76ers next Sunday, so or next the following Monday. So these next two games are definitely must-wins because the next week features some tougher opponents. So um, I don't know. I hope that the Mavs have a better load management plan for this back-to-back than they did for the last one. But yeah. Buckle up, keep your powder dry. Did I miss anything else? Um, oh, yeah, we're going to kick this into a whole different stratosphere. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, Donnie Nelson said that before the 2019 offseason end. The idea of the different stratosphere was just waiting two weeks for Danny Green only to sign with the the, the Lakers or, yeah, the Lakers and trading for DeLon Wright. So if that's the stratosphere, then I'm going to need to get into like the Milky Way. 